Okay, so if you listen until the very end of the last episode of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney, we did the second installment of Two Truths and a Lie. I would like to give you those statements and give you the answer right now. We also posted these statements on our social medias. Anyway, I have three statements now. You have to guess which of these three is the lie. Here we go. Number one, the first sport I played competitively was baseball. Number two, I once had a fish named Andy. And number three, I can play the guitar. Which of those three statements is a lie? Well, if you guess number three, I can play the guitar, you are right. I cannot play the guitar. Can't play any instrument. Used to play a little bit of recorder, though, as a kid. I think I could play Mary Had a Little Lamb and the Pokemon theme song. I actually bought a recorder as a child at the store. I think it might have been Sam's Club or something. And it had a book that had the Pokemon theme song and some of the easiest songs to play. I think Mary Had a Little Lamb is one of the easier songs to play. So uh, I could play those, but that's the extent of my musical prowess. (laughs) Anyway, that is the lie that I can play the guitar because I absolutely cannot. The first sport I played competitively was baseball. It was technically t-ball, which I played with my church, and then I moved into baseball, uh, eventually started playing basketball as well, and it's the one that I still play to this day. But baseball was first, and I did once have a fish named Andy. I actually bought him at a church yard sale as a kid, and uh, he was a red beta fish. Andy was just the first name that popped in my head, so I named him Andy. (laughs) So uh, that is two truths and a lie. I cannot play the guitar at all. All right, that's going to bring us to episode 56 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Thanks for tuning in today. On today's show, we're first of all going to have not a podcast shout-out, but a website shout-out. I'm going to give some love to a website that is very near and dear to me. That's coming up first. Then, this day in wrestling history. We've got a wrestling-based podcast today, so we'll do This Day in Wrestling History, and then Talking Smack with J-Mac returns for the first time in a while. I'm going to be joined by the host of the Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast. He's also a fellow North Carolinian, Michael Davis. We had a great conversation this past Sunday. Now, this was before Monday Night Raw and AEW Dynamite, so anything that happened on those shows we didn't talk about, but we did have some great discussion and really enjoyed talking to Michael Davis about WWE, AEW, some of the major topics for both of those companies. He stuck around. We did a Happily Ever Drafter. It's an evolution draft. There'll be more guidelines about that draft coming up later, but we drafted matches containing members of the former WWE faction Evolution. That's Ric Flair, Triple H, Bautista, and Randy Orton. Stick around because we got a great show coming up for you. You're really going to enjoy it, particularly if you're a pro wrestling fan. If you're not, maybe you'll learn something today from myself and Michael. Anyway, let's get right to it. Let's get to that website shout out. Okay, so today for this quick website shout out, I want to draw some attention to podmatch.com. Now I'm going to read this directly from Podmatch's website. It says, imagine your favorite online dating app, but instead of using it for finding dates, you're booking podcast interviews. We use the same-ish technology for automated matching. Now, Podmatch 
is a website that I actually joined last year just to try to find guests to have on the show. You can join it as a podcast host. You can join it as a potential guest for other people. You answer some simple questions and there's an algorithm involved and it then matches you with certain people who have joined the site who they think would be good matches for your show. It shows kind of what percentage match it thinks they are for your show and it's just a really cool website. For a while I was on the free plan. They started a paid plan. A couple of paid plans, actually. I'm on the $6 a month plan right now, and uh, what it allows you to do is for other members who are signed up for a paid plan, you can actually make a little money uh, for interviewing them, completing those interviews, and letting Podmatch know that you've done so. I've had four guests thus far from Podmatch on my show. I haven't gotten rich from it, but made just a little bit of side money and definitely have enjoyed the connections I've made through Podmatch. Like I said, it's very simple. You don't have to join the paid plan, and you don't have to put any money into it. You won't get anything out of it then except, well, obviously, great connections and guests for your podcast or the opportunity to guest on someone else's podcast or both if you sign up, if you do both of those things. So podmatch.com has been great. It's a great tool for anyone who's looking, as I said, to be a host or a guest or both for a podcast. Go check out podmatch.com. They do a great job, and uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty more guests that I will have connected with through Podmatch. That's today's website shout-out. Now it's time to move on to the wrestling portion of the show, which is the rest of the episode. Right now, let's go to This Day in Wrestling History. We begin this installment of This Day in Wrestling History with two items that took place on May 26, 1987. First, on this day, 35 years ago, the Iron Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, both future WWE Hall of Famers, were arrested on drug possession charges after Duggan was pulled over for suspicion of driving while under the influence of alcohol in New Jersey with the Iron Sheik in the passenger seat. In addition to the legal ramifications from this incident, the duo also landed in hot water with WWF management. It was WWF at the time, of course, as they were engaged in a bitter rivalry on screen, and it was a huge no-no at that time to break kayfabe. Now, if you don't know what kayfabe is, that is basically where you stay in character, baby faces or good guys are not to be seen with heels slash bad guys, at least at that time, that was very frowned upon. Now, in today's day and age, social media and everything, they don't follow that. But back in the day, that was a huge no-no. The event made major headlines all over the news and led to the Sheik being released from the WWF and Duggan being suspended, although both would later return to the company, actually within the same year. The Sheik joined the WWE Hall of Fame in 2005, while Duggan was inducted six years later. Also on May 26, 1987, we had a notable birth in the wrestling world. Current Impact Wrestling star Steve Macklin, formerly known as Steve Cutler in WWE, was born in Rutherford, New Jersey. 35 years old today, he made his pro wrestling debut in January 2013 and signed a WWE contract the following year. In early 2018, Cutler began teaming with Wesley Blake and Jackson Riker in NXT as the Forgotten Sons. 
and the group had a short-lived main roster run on SmackDown in 2020. Ultimately, Cutler was released from WWE on February 4, 2021, and he debuted with Impact Wrestling in June of last year with his new ring name of Steve Macklin. Since joining Impact, Macklin has been one of the most successful singles wrestlers on the roster in terms of wins and losses. And at the company's most recent pay-per-view, Rebellion, on April 23rd, he defeated Chris Saban and Jay White in a three-way match. Macklin is also currently engaged to former two-time Impact Knockouts champion Deanna Peraza, one of the best female talents in the world, who was also previously with WWE. Both have received great opportunities in Impact. Finally, we move to May 26, 1996, when WWF held the In Your House Beware of Dog pay-per-view event at South Carolina's Florence Civic Center. Although a severe thunderstorm in the area caused the power to go out during the broadcast, resulting in fans at home missing most of the show. Consequently, a second night of the event was added two nights later called Beware of Dog 2 in North Charleston, South Carolina that featured a re-airing of the two matches that were shown on the original broadcast before the power went out and three of the matches that were wrestled in the dark or in very low light two nights earlier being re-wrestled live for those in attendance in North Charleston and those watching at home. To this day, no other WWF slash WWE pay-per-view has been held in South Carolina. And by the way, the version of this show that's available on Peacock goes straight from the WWF Championship match where Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog wrestled to a no contest on the original night of the show to the three matches that took place live two days later on May 28, 1996, making it seem like one seamless show. That's going to do it for this day in wrestling history. Now, I am very pleased to bring you the interview I had this past Sunday with Michael Davis, host of the Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast, as I said, obviously with this being recorded prior to Monday Night Raw and AEW Dynamite. There's no discussion of things that happen on those shows, but still a very timely interview, a very fun interview. You're going to hear it right now, my interview with Michael Davis in Talking Smack with J-Mac. I am now uh, pleased to be joined uh, by my guest for this week, Michael Davis of the uh, Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast. Uh, Mike, how are you doing today, man? I am doing absolutely fantastic. How are you doing, Josh? Doing well. Uh, now, uh, for the listener, we had a little bit of trouble. <laughs> I had some technical <laughs> issues on my end getting us started, so delayed it a little bit, but uh, glad to be with you now and really looking forward to our conversation here today. I'm going to be uh, talking about pro wrestling. I haven't done a pro wrestling-based episode in a little while. You seem like the perfect guest for that, having recently uh, started your own wrestling podcast there, Drop the Mic. First of all, we'll just go back and, and talk a little bit about your, your wrestling backstory, how you first got into wrestling, around what time period that was, and what got you into it. Yeah, so the running joke in my family is I've been born into wrestling because I was born on a Saturday night when WCW had their Saturday night event, and Dad was watching on the little TV in the hospital while I was being born. That's the running joke. And so my toddler years would run into the room Whenever the rock was on, I was a big rock guy and then actually got 
to watch more wrestling more frequently, probably in 2004, 2005, and got to attend my first ever wrestling show, period. It was an independent wrestling show, and you'll never guess who main evented that show. No idea. It was uh, Dusty Rhodes wow. versus Tully Blanchard, January wow. 2005. That's awesome. In, of all places, a little town called Lenore, North Carolina. <laughs> and I was hooked. And my dad's friend, he would do sound. So we'd get into a lot of audio stuff. The first ever WrestleMania I got to watch live on TV was WrestleMania 21, which Triple H Batista, Cena, JBL, Edgewin, Money in the Bank. And ever since, I've just absolutely loved wrestling. And it's been a great way for me to bond with my dad and for also me just let off some steam, whether that's from school or work or just wanting to have fun. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what got you into wanting to start uh, Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast? Yeah, so I graduated App State last spring with a broadcasting degree, and I'm also working at a camp more year-round, YMCA Camp Harrison, located in Boomer, North Carolina, and I want to still use my broadcasting degree in some sort of way, but still being at the camp, I was like, what can I do? I make several appearances on The Score with Brett Wiseman, which is a sports talk radio show. So that that gets my sports out of it. And everyone seems to have a sports podcast now. So I'm like, what can I do? And I love wrestling. It's so easy for me to watch wrestling hours upon hours. I always have a lot in my mind when it comes to wrestling and what's happening in today's world. So I'm like, boom, let me make a wrestling podcast and see if it catches on. And so far, I've been really, really pleased and grateful for how many people just love to watch it, ask for the link every week, and are very supportive of the podcast. Yeah, I listened to your last couple episodes, really enjoyed getting your uh, insight into some of the current goings-ons in the wrestling business right now. And there's a lot. Yeah, there is for sure. Uh, We're going to talk about some of it today. But, uh, you know, I, I started my podcast about... A little over two years ago, uh, I do some sports. I do wrestling. Uh, we do some other things outside of wrestling. Some of the drafts we've had and, and some of the rankings we've done have been Pixar films and serials. The best moms. Yes, best moms. We did fathers last year. So, I mean, it's it's fun where it can take you and, and, and the conversations you can have. I've, I've been blessed to have some really great guests and, and, and looking forward to today. Because, like I said, it's been a while since I, I did a, a wrestling show. But uh, we like to call this segment, when I do talk wrestling, Talking Smack with J-Mac. So uh, that's, what, that's what we're doing today. The first thing I want to do is uh, we'll, talk, we'll start off in WWE on the main roster there. Uh, Cody Rhodes. Recently, one of the the founders of AEW is approaching nearly two months back with WWE, returning at WrestleMania this year. What have been your thoughts on the presentation of Cody Rhodes uh, back on uh, Monday Night Raw? Well, for the longest time, what was a couple months build up between AEW and WWE, I didn't believe it. It was really hard to believe that Cody Rhodes would jump from AEW to WWE. One, because we hadn't seen it at all. We had never seen that jump. And two, Cody was one of the founding guys of AEW. And I I love the Rhodes and Rollins match. I'm going to go back eventually and rewatch that match again, probably in a few years after this all settles down. But cue the smoke and mirrors. I was 
shocked and in awe over Cody, like AEW Cody being presented in WWE. Like they took everything he was in AEW and they're kind of letting him be that in WWE, which is a good move. That's good marketing. That's good to keep him happy. But it was one of those rare moments in wrestling that just, it seems so surreal. It felt like I was on WWE 2K and had created Cody as a character and was playing Seth Rollins. That's what it felt like. And I don't think you can capture that many moments in wrestling today. Yeah, I've been very pleased with the presentation. Cody was, uh, I've been a fan of his since he was first in WWE. I think uh, all his character work over the years, all the different characters, the dashing Cody Rhodes, the one where he got his face. Yeah, that got his face messed up and everything he did, you know, even Stardust, I know that kind of ran its course, but it was kind of fun for a little while. And uh, just, I always think his character work has been great. Obviously, he is his uh, father's son with his work on the microphone and can always talk. I think he's really in the six years that he's been gone from WWE has really kind of reinvented his character, has learned a lot. And uh, it's been great to see his maturity. He was one of my favorites going in the AEW and then started getting a lot of booze from the crowd and and they kind of were turning on him a little bit there so it's been nice to see him come back to WWE get cheered again uh, and uh, keep that character I think that was so important because I think he did have one of the best entrances in AEW and they brought that over to WWE so that's that's been awesome to see and and I think Rollins was the perfect opponent for him to return against uh, another one of the best wrestlers in the world yeah I'm excited for their Third match is going to be at Hell in a Cell, inside the cell. That's going to be really good. But I know you mentioned how the fans in AEW started to boo him. I'm try- I'm still trying to wrap my head around why exactly Cody jumped. I don't know if we'll ever get that full story because I don't know if there's any heat between him and the other EVPs and he doesn't want to bury them, which respect, or if it's really just him trying to win the WWE title, if this was his plan all along. Do you think those boos had a little to do with it? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's possibly. I mean, I've heard some of the things about there potentially being some heat between the EVPs. Like you said, I think it's been great that that Cody hasn't just gone out and buried them in interviews. He's been very complimentary of of what they've meant to AEW. So I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say what the reason is. Maybe it's just that he wanted to go back and be something bigger in WWE. I know growing up, that was his dream is to be on that stage. Uh, obviously. So uh, to have the chance to go back and I'm sure it was a a tough decision for him because I'm I'm sure he probably waffled a little bit back and forth and and thought, you know, do I want to do this? I've got to make sure that they're going to present me the right way and and, and book me right. And uh, no Stardust references. (laughs) <laughs> unless yeah, by think, Cody himself. <laughs> yes, exactly. There was one little one there in that WrestleMania match, but uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, kind of shedding that and, and moving on. So pleased with Cody and what he's been able to do. It's uh, You talk about surreal. I, I went to uh, my first AEW event back in December, just before Christmas. Was that the Greensboro one? Yes, uh-huh. it was in Greensboro. I wanted to go to that one so bad. Yeah, Man. and of course, uh, Cody, right before Christmas, won the uh, TNT title from uh, Sammy Guevara that night, and he got a lot of booze that night, and I was one of those who was a, a big Cody Rhodes fan and uh, was happy for him. And, of course, he, he kind of rode himself out of the world title picture there early, and so I think that was another thing where he was kind of pigeonholed in the – he didn't want to go back on his word uh, for that. So uh, 
it's going to be interesting to see in the future if this opens up the door for – I know you talked a little bit about it, how you thought MJF, for instance, should stay in AEW because he's not going to be able to say a lot of the things he can say on the mic there in WWE and all that. But you wonder. I mean, he's very close with Cody and some of the others that are close with Cody and, and such. Who else is going to jump when their contracts are up? That opened the door. Cody was the first domino to fall, and I'm not sure who will follow Cody in his footsteps. And going back to MJF, I feel like he should stay in AEW, as you reiterated, just because you can't say or do half the stuff or have the TV time that you're getting in AEW. But at the same time, if WWE protects Cody's image over the next two years, MJF might look at that and say, oh, maybe that means I have a chance. Yeah, because you hear all these things about, obviously, WWE is going to be very interested in bringing MJF in because of his name value. They're going to be interested in bringing someone like a Jade Cargill in at some point. I could see Jade. For sure. Uh, she's uh, def- there's definitely, I think she's one of the ones that could likely jump. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I uh, do think AEW's roster is getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> They're signing a lot of people, and, and you're starting to see some contracts not being re signed now by AEW that are coming up. So uh, it'll be interesting. You know, you're going to see definitely a Chris Jericho will go back and finish his career in WWE. I think that's pretty set in stone. I, I feel like he's going to make a return because he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Over there and uh, of course he's got his whole sports entertainment jericho appreciation society right now which is so genius how do you get booed with a song like judas that the crowds sings along to still sings along to how do you get booed in a pro wrestling fan base oh we're sports entertainers boo us Oh, man. I, I love that guy. Over 30 years in the business, and uh, he's Genius. got so many great ideas, such a great mind for the business. Getting back to WWE over on Raw, uh, a guy who recently returned uh, with a new gimmick, Ezekiel. Unless you really re- believe Elias and Ezekiel are two different people. But we've had this whole thing. Uh, I've said for a long time, Kevin Owens is one of the best all-around guys they've got in WWE on the mic uh, in the ring he's solid just he, he's hilarious uh, but he can be serious as well he's just he gets really helps get any program he's in over uh, just with his mic work alone and uh, I've enjoyed this little thing he's had going on with Ezekiel since he returned I think Ezekiel is great at getting the crowd in the palm of his hands he did it as Elias he's done it again and, and reinvented himself with this character and then them going with the Alpha Academy as well Chad Gable hilarious Otis has some funny one-liners and and they've been a solid tag team since they put those guys together Uh, what do you think of that whole program yeah well I'll I'll admit the first night I saw Ezekiel come out I was just shaking my head because I was such a fan of Elias the guitar the look like he had the look of a WWE superstar and he was doing well he could get a reaction from any crowd no matter what city or town you were in So I'm like, really, Ezekiel? And like you said, Kevin Owens has kind of made me a fan of this program where it's like, no, I'm Ezekiel. I'm Elias' younger brother. Because again, we saw Elias' tombstone last year, and they've continued that. This isn't a, oh, well, one night he's LA Knight, and the next night he's Max Dupree. I guess I kind of spoiled SmackDown. Nobody saw that. But it's actually a story which is all I want from my TV. Like, I want a story. If I don't have anything to connect the dots to or anything to make sense with, what are you doing? 
And at the very least, at the very least, WWE has repackaged Elias slash Ezekiel and they're doing a story with it. And it's given Owens airtime. I guess this is what he talked about being all downhill from Stone Cold in the main event, which him re-signing with WWE, that was more than worth it, having Stone Cold's final match. And I really love Alpha Academy and their work. I feel like Chad Gable and Otis are underrated. I did like Otis with Mandy Rose and having that comedy side. And then he's been able to switch to the serious powerhouse. And I personally feel like that could set up a potential change with Riddle down the line, where Riddle's this comedic type character, entertaining, kind of like Kurt Angle. And then he's going to be able to switch when the time's right to the serious character. And Otis right now is the blueprint for that. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what to think. You know, you mentioned uh, not sure what to think the first time Ezekiel came out, but Otis, uh, I wasn't sure going to this serious side and, and, and how this would work, but it's just been great. I love the shoosh please <laughs> from Chad Gable. <laughs> I just love that whole character. And, uh, and the guy can absolutely go in the ring. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Obviously, he and Otis both with amateur wrestling backgrounds and, and, and what they've done uh, there. So they are legit tough guys that can back it up with comedy. And uh, that's something that you look at a guy like Kurt Angle was always able to do so well is blend comedy and then some seriousness and some just great mat wrestling and it's something that I think is needed uh, to maybe bring a little bit more legitimacy to the ring as well. I want to talk also on Raw this recent faction that has formed and they've taken an old pay-per-view name. I kind of wish they would have been a little bit more creative than Judgment Day because all it does is remind me of the pay-per-view but uh, I have enjoyed the whole uh, Edge and Damian Priest partnership uh, since it came about. I think they kind of needed something else for Damian there. Uh, he had a good little run, and, and, and they seem to be big on him. And, and I think that's the reason that Edge wanted to work with him in this faction. Now, they did recently add Rhea Ripley, which uh, I heard your thoughts. You were not too fond of her being in Judgment Day, but uh, what have been your thoughts as a whole on that faction? Again, with going back to Chris Jericho and kind of relating this, I'll tie it in with Jericho. Jericho's turned heel, and he's finally gotten the fans to boo him because of sports entertainers, but the fans love his theme song, and we'll sing it all the time. It's kind of similar with Edge. Everyone loved Edge's interest theme. On this day, it was a huge meme. Everyone loved it. And for him to turn the page and be a heel and to change his theme song, this is when I knew, okay, this is a legitimate heel turn. He's going all in. And Edge, ever since he returned in 2020, and the pandemic really forced this, he's done great storytelling. He might be one of the best storytellers in WWE, period, right now. Might be one of the best storytellers in the entire industry. And if you remember a couple of months ago when they were trying to decide who would face Edge, Damian Priest came up. Then Balor came up, AJ Styles came up, and Edge really settled in on AJ Styles as his opponent, and Damian Priest is involved, which Priest wasn't on the WrestleMania card. So I'm really glad they started the Faction Judgment Day. I agree on the name, by the way. It just reminds me of John Cena and JBL in 2005 and that I Quit match. It was, it's not the best name. I just don't think they need a female counterpart. We had Hit Row. We have Legato Del Fantasma. I just don't think this group, which is really like Ministry of Darkness slash Brood kind of faction, I don't think they need Rhea Ripley. 
But if they were to have a female superstar, Rhea Ripley would be the person because Rhea and Damian Priest are really close in real life and they keep teasing a fourth member. I would really love to see Tommaso Ciampa as the fourth member, even though they really could do a Hulk Hogan NWO's type swerve if it is Finn Balor as the fourth member. Yeah, I could definitely see either one of those uh, joining the faction, and uh, I'd be cool either way. Uh, I, I like to see AJ Styles get a big feud. I, I've been a fan of his for, uh, I guess it's been two decades I've been watching him, but he's, uh, yeah, absolutely. I became a huge fan of his back then, and I think he's amazing. He's one of the best in-ring performers today and also of all time really but i've enjoyed him and edge going up against each other and edge bringing back that sinister heel edge and you mentioned his new entrance theme it's by the same band alter bridge i believe and it's still another banger he's always had just great theme music no matter what and it it was a great change up because you couldn't really keep that music he had uh, with this current character yeah, he's definitely changed his presentation. And Chris Jericho has been one to talk about, about constantly reinventing yourself, staying with the times, reinventing yourself before the fans begin to turn on you. And Edge has done that, which is really cool. Yeah. So somebody who jumped over to Monday Night Raw, and uh, I'm not really sure why. I think they could have used her a little more on SmackDown. Oh, is, this uh, is where we're going. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lacey Evans, you know, that she was built up with all these video packages as being a major baby face there in the SmackDown division. I think SmackDown could use her more just looking at the rosters uh, for the women's divisions. And especially now, you know, <laughs> with a couple of the women uh, walking out here <laughs> recently, uh, Lacey Evans, I think, has the potential to be. I've always enjoyed her character work. I, I did enjoy her as the sassy Southern Belle. I enjoyed her as a heel. But, uh, you know, I'd heard the rumor that she was going to be moved over to Raw and made a heel. Although it seemed like the promo she did on Raw was more of a babyface promo. So I don't know exactly where they're going with it. I don't know if they know where they're going with it. Because why would you build her up on SmackDown with these video packages? Take her over to Raw now. And it's like, why? I don't I don't really know why they why do you think they've they, they put her on Raw? That's baffled me. If you look at SmackDown right now, obviously you have Ronda Rousey as your SmackDown women's champion. But over the last year, they lost Tony Storm. Tony Storm left. They haven't had Bailey because Bailey's still hurt. Charlotte Flair just left to take time off to get married to Andrade. I mean, I don't know who else is on this SmackDown women's roster other than Ronda Rousey. We have Raquel, who just debuted. You have Shotzi, who kind of gets airtime. I don't know who faces Ronda Rousey unless they're trying to unify the women's titles too. I don't understand why you hype Lacey Evans up for weeks on SmackDown as your next baby face. Who could actually be? You have Ronda turn heel. Lacey comes up as this big hero sometime during this year. But instead, you're moving her to Raw when the division's already stacked. We've already mentioned Rhea. We got Liv Morgan. We got Alexa who just returned. We got Oscar who just returned. We'll not count Sasha and Naomi for the time being. But you have Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch. Like Raw's women's division so stacked. You're struggling to give them airtime. On the blue brand, who is there other than Ronda? Yeah. I mean, they've got some girls who they'll show up here and there, like Aaliyah. Uh, they've got Natalia. I mean, they could do her and Ronda with their 
real life things, but it's not going to be a, that big of a deal. Natalia's kind of been uh, in and out of tag team division with different partners. So her and Shayna Baszler uh, recently, but she was teaming with Tamina there for a while. So it's just kind of, they're just throwing her with different tag teams. So you're not really going to buy her in that role. Uh, there's really nobody except Raquel, who I did enjoy the match she had with Ronda. I think it was a big performance for her to, to be put in that position. And I think she's got a, a ton of potential to do great things on SmackDown if they can present her right. But outside of that, I know they were wanting to build towards a, uh, it sounds like Sasha Banks versus Ronda Rousey match. Uh, that was kind of some of the reason that Sasha and Naomi did walk out. Uh, for those that don't know, they walked out on Raw, left their, uh, women's tag team titles. Uh, they were not happy with the creative decisions that uh, it seems like Naomi was going to win that women's six-pack challenge on Raw. She was going to go on and fight Bianca Belair at the next pay-per-view, uh, lose to Bianca. Sasha was going to wrestle Ronda on SmackDown and lose to her. And, and it seemed those women thought that devalued the tag team titles, which the tag team titles have been pretty much devalued for a long time <laughs> in the women's division and, and the men for that matter a lot of times. But uh, that's why... Uh... FTR left is because the tag team division wasn't valued. At this point, I don't know why you don't just kind of fizzle out the women's tag team titles. I guess not to make Sasha and Naomi the final champions, but come on. There's no women tag teams in WWE. You have Toxic Attraction, but they're in NXT. There's nobody on the main roster that can hold those titles and make them legitimate. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you had still four or five teams that are like the Iconics, for instance, were perfect as tag team champions, but you don't have really anybody else who's just, you know, those women, they're always kind of, well, they did break them up for a while, which was stupid. But, uh, of course, they went over to Impact and were there for a while. They've now left Impact. They were the, the women's tag champions there. And uh, I've always been a fan of the Iconics. But outside of them, I mean, Sasha and Bailey were great together for a while. and But uh, it's just thrown together teams constantly. And then they break up. And then it rinse, recycle, repeat, I guess. It's like Rhea Ripley had a couple different partners and uh there's not really a need for it i i think they're just trying to kind of throw things together to to give the women something where whereas the women would rather i don't know <laughs> be booked better i mean if you're going to bring it in you've got to give it some importance you've got to get some teams in there you, i don't know it's <laughs> probably should be phased out at this point probably won't be but i don't know who's going to be the next champions at all which, Josh, this isn't just an issue with the women's division. This is an issue with WWE booking in general, but also the mid-card. If you look, I think I talked about this on the podcast last week, was Ricochet is Intercontinental Champion. The last time that title's been defended, the Intercontinental Championship, the same one that Michaels and Razor Ramon fought for in a ladder match at WrestleMania 10, the same one that Triple H and The Rock fought for at SummerSlam 98 in a ladder match. Some iconic Intercontinental champions in the past have fought so hard to make it prestigious, and it hasn't been defended on pay-per-view or premium live event, whatever, in over a year. United States style is almost approaching a year since it's been defended. I don't understand. Why do you not have those mid-card titles? Because those mid-card champions are going to be elevated into the main event scene. That's what pro wrestling and sports entertainment are designed to do. You fight your way up the card, use the mid card to elevate yourself to the main event level. And that's what happens. So it's not just the women getting the short end of the stick. And by my logic, I think Ricochet should be the next one to walk out, maybe even theory. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right about the mid-card titles. You know, the last time the United States title I can remember really enjoying the way it was booked was when John Cena had it and was doing his open challenges. Those were a lot of fun. You had Kevin Owens coming up and, and winning it from him, and uh, a lot of different guys got some time to have some great matches for the U.S. title. It was important, but it seems like they only want to book it important when it's on a guy like a John Cena. <laughs> so, uh, And they want to give him something else outside of the, the world title picture to do. Now, you mentioned Ricochet, Intercontinental Champion. Uh, he had an interaction with Gunther, uh, the former Walter from NXT, who had has uh, been built, obviously, in a big way. A lot of squash matches since he came up. We just got to talk about Gunther, and uh, it looks like they're headed towards him being uh, the Intercontinental Champion if he's indeed fighting Ricochet. And could uh, a guy like Gunther maybe restore some glory to that title? I would hope so. I think however you pronounce his name, I've heard you say Gunther. I've heard so many different pronunciations of his name, which is whack. I'm going to call him Walter just because that's his name. And that's one of the name changes I don't agree with. I think that could provide legitimacy to the title, but they don't put it on pay-per-view. It's not going to. And that's the unfortunate thing with that is he was booked. If you remember, his NXT UK run is super, like absolutely astonishing. And he was booked as a monster in NXT. And then all of a sudden, he gets smacked down. He's beaten people in squash matches, which is usually the progression of people. But I have a feeling that, especially since Fabian Eichner is not there anymore as Imperium, then this is going to hinder Walter, Gunther, whatever, his progression. And it'll be interesting to see. I really hope they don't mess him up because he would be a perfect candidate to wrestle at Clash at the Castle, either this year or the next, for a main roster title. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned the uh, all the divisions really outside of the the world title not being given kind of the importance they should be. We've just seen the uh, unification of the SmackDown and Raw titles uh, with uh, RK Bro uh, losing their titles to the Usos, and uh, we've now got the Usos with both sets of titles. I do hope they are indeed unifying them. I thought they should have for a long time and, and have them float between shows because when you look at their tag team division, they've got some decent teams. I mean, RK Bro's not going to be around forever, but they've been fun. Uh, you've got the Street Profits. Uh, the Viking Raiders don't know where they went, but uh, that's another team that's just not been used well for a while. But you've got the Usos there. You've got the New Day if you want to put them back in the picture. Alpha Academy we just talked yeah, about. Alpha Academy. But you really don't have enough for two complete shows and two complete sets of titles. So what do you think about that whole situation? Well, because they've cut two-thirds of the roster down. Like, that's why we're seeing a lot of these rosters very depleted. NXT 2.0 is not generating stars as quick as they anticipated. But I'll be honest, I really struggle watching three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, even as a fan. Like, sometimes that's hard for me. But this past week on SmackDown, when we heard that the Usos and RK-Bro were going to unify the titles, I was like, okay, this is going to end in no contest. We're going to get the actual match, maybe, hopefully, at Hell in a Cell. That's going to main event. But to have the actual unification this past Friday on SmackDown was so huge. That was a, okay, WWE, you did something right. You shocked me, by the way. And you don't get many raw, no pun intended, reactions 
from the crowd like that. If you remember, they did several shots in the crowd and young kids were scared. Fans were crying as the Usos had won the Raw and SmackDown tag titles. They were decimating Orton and Riddle. That was a genuine reaction. And to be able to generate that just goes to show that the Bloodline are still top tier in SmackDown and in WWE. And they had great working partners with Orton and Riddle. And that was that was a moment. That's what that's what I want from a wrestling show. When I sit down, I want to be like, okay, at some point in the show, I want a memorable moment. If it's not this week, I hope it's in the next few weeks, even next couple months. I need that memorable moment where I can look back and say, hey, this is one of the defining moments of SmackDown. And they delivered. That was great match, great main event. Made watching SmackDown worth it. And overall, pretty good show. Yeah, I completely agree. SmackDown was was really good uh, this week and uh, enjoyed it pretty much from top to bottom. Like you said, there was a big happening there with the, with the tag team titles changing hands. The Usos now with both sets, as we said, and uh, we'll see what happens going forward with that. Hopefully, they book that right and bring some uh, just some importance back to the tag team division. And uh, I think it would be much easier done having it float between two shows, having one set of tag titles that way, and uh, doing it that way. So hopefully, they do go that way, but we'll see. You just you just never know. <laughs> and. Let's keep in mind, this is all to set up for a potential main event at next year's WrestleMania in Hollywood. Like this is all gearing towards Roman Reigns versus The Rock. That's our big payoff. And that's been the payoff for up to two years now. And if for some reason that match doesn't happen, that'll make this reign for Reigns and The Usos a little less special not saying it's not as good but that's certainly what we need is roman versus the rock yeah i would agree it sure seems like we are headed towards on the way there to uh riddle getting a shot at reigns we're going to see randy orton get a shot at reigns uh so i think those are going to be some fun matches to watch i think those are two of the most over guys in the company two of the this tag team that they've done with uh, Riddle and Orton. You take Orton for just before this, he was burning the fiend alive. He was like a sinister kind of heel guy. He burned the fiend out of WWE. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, he went from that to uh, now getting some of the biggest cheers in the company. And, and Randy Orton is a guy who can do that. He, he's at this point, not the legend killer. He's a legend himself now after two decades and uh, we'll have a little bit more on Orton later on in the show but uh, I did want to talk about one other guy who recently re-signed with WWE and that's Sami Zayn and of course he kind of thinks he's a member of the bloodline right now which is hilarious I think he's been doing a great job the match uh, with uh, Johnny Knoxville at Wrestlemania was really fun to watch (laughs) I didn't know what I was watching at times with that but it was just so funny to watch He-Man power slamming Sami Zayn Uh, just a lot of fun moments in that now i do have to ask okay because we're on complete different sides of the spectrum with that one do do you watch johnny knoxville's movies no i I don't okay okay because i thought that's why i didn't like it is because i didn't get a lot of it and everyone i've talked to love that match but I, i feel like i'm in the minority with like I didn't care for Johnny Knoxville to beat Sami Zayn at WrestleMania with this giant mousetrap that didn't even work correctly when he tried to use it. 
Yeah, I mean, I kind of do have a little bit of a, a quibble with Sammy losing. Uh, I think he loses a little too much uh, for my taste. I did enjoy some of his interaction with Brock Lesnar. You know, I, I've been kind of critical at times of Brock coming and going as he wants, showing up when he wants. But I really think with this whole more of a face character he had, this more of a comedic side he was able to show off, I think that he is so entertaining in that role. And he and Sammy, uh, I, I saw somebody on the Internet on a message board for wrestling actually talking like, man, it'd be awesome. It's not going to happen. But if Brock came back and he and Sammy teamed together, like if the bloodline does turn on Sammy eventually, beat him down. Brock returns. He and Sammy team up to face the Usos for the tag team titles. Like, just the dichotomy between those two characters, uh, that would be fun to watch. That would be fun to watch, except I'm I'm kind of tapped out on the Lesnar Reigns. <laughs> yeah, I am Reigns, fi- Reigns finally beat Lesnar at WrestleMania. Let's do it. But Lesnar and Sammy Zayn as a tag team? Or, hear me out, Brock Lesnar and R-Truth as a tag team? <laughs> oh, man. If he uh, doesn't throw Paul Heyman over the top rope. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, Sami Zayn to me has just been, uh, he's kind of the same boat as Kevin Owens. And I think he's a guy who people said really wasn't a great talker before he came to WWE. But I've enjoyed his mic work, especially with his heel character. I think he could eventually, I mean, you saw him when he kind of got a shot against Reigns on SmackDown and didn't go well for him. But the fans really want to get behind Sami Zayn. And I think he could really be built up as maybe a uh, Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson's type big time face if they wanted to go that way with him. The underdog from the underground, if you will. I've never been a huge Sami Zayn fan personally. I started watching him in ROH and he was feuding with Kevin Steen. I like Kevin Steen more. NXT, Kevin Owens comes, just power bombs. Sami Zayn into oblivion. And so I've always leaned Kevin Owens more Sami Zayn. But Zayn's character work has definitely improved. And I didn't think he could pull off being a heel. And he is just the perfect delusional heel. And I never saw that out of him back in NXT or ever. And I feel like while I am not a personal fan of Sami Zayn, I feel like we're going to look back in 10, 15 years and be like, okay, WWE should have put the world title on Razor Ramon, Roddy Piper, Cesaro, and Sami Zayn. He's going to be in that company where it's like, man, he, he should have had at least one world championship reign. Yeah, so that's basically all I wanted to cover with WWE. I did want to get into a little bit of AEW because they've got double or nothing coming up. This is the fourth annual Double or Nothing event. And the main story, first of all, AEW is coming up on their third anniversary here this week. And what have been your thoughts so far uh, in that three-year history of AEW? They have changed the game, honestly. And I loved AEW 2019. There will be nothing like it. Just them taking all they had and putting it into this one year of trying to build up to this TNT debut on Wednesday nights, and they did it perfectly. They used Chris Jericho, they used John Moxley, they used Omega and the Bucks, and then they used just a bunch of no-name guys trying to get their name out there. And they really built this on the pillars. They built it on Sammy Guevara. They built it on Darby Allen and MJF and Jungle Boy. And just seeing how each of those characters have grown and progressed 
as AEW's grown and progressed, you know, AEW's brought in so much talent. And when things got real, as much as I loved AEW's product, they were just the second company that I personally enjoyed more. They made everything a reality when CM Punk came on August 20th, 2021. And just a few short weeks later, he had his return match in the ring, followed with not only the appearing debut of Adam Cole and then Brian Danielson. Those three have set AEW to a new level. It's on a new height. And this is a fast rise. People are like, oh, AEW's not great. WWE still better. They'll never catch up. AEW's barely getting 1 million viewers. That's not how you should be looking at it. In three years, AEW's drawing a million viewers. Impact's barely surviving right now with, if they're lucky, 100,000 viewers. AEW is just continuing to build. And I feel like if they don't become TNA 2.0 by catering to all the ex-WWE talent and they retain some of their old ones, they'll be okay. We've seen a few leave, obviously Cody being the big one, but I don't want this company to be filled with the Hardy Boys. Like I want Darby Allen to be that guy. I want Jungle Boy to be that guy. So it'll be interesting to see how AEW goes from here. I agree. I have enjoyed AEW since its uh, inception. I uh, There are certain things that I haven't liked, and I think they're getting a little bit bloated with their roster and signing a lot of guys. I cannot argue with any of the three guys like CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole. All home run signings for AEW there. Not all of their signings have been, but they're not going to be for any company. I think uh, overall they've done a great job. The biggest thing that I've had a problem with in AEW, if I could nitpick, would be the women's division. I feel like outside of uh, Britt Baker and Jade Cargill, and maybe Tony Storm's going to be the answer to this. Uh, I think she has the look. She is still just 26 years old. She's got a lot of talent. And uh, personally, I think she should win that uh, Owen Hart Foundation tournament for the women. That would be an interesting move. I'm kind of torn between Britt Baker and Tony Storm and kind of torn between who wins the men's side as well. But I agree, the women's divisions need work ever since its inception. And I don't know what happens there. If Sasha Banks gets out of her contract, AEW's got to jump on that and throw as much money as they need to Sasha Banks because that's going to be the one that really shifts the women's division. Absolutely. Sasha is my favorite female wrestler and has been for a while. I think she's phenomenal in the ring. I think she is a great seller. I think she can talk. Uh, She's good as either a heel or a face. Uh, I just, uh, I think she's got the total package and I think WWE could have done so much more with her and maybe they will, maybe they'll still get that chance. Don't know what's going to happen with this whole situation. And Naomi as well has been underrated. She is a solid hand in the women's division, could have been given more to do. And, of course, she is in uh, a part of a very famous family through marriage. So uh, hopefully things work out for those women the best and they're able to display their talents because uh, she's a great athlete and can really go in the ring. And and Sasha, as I've said, just a huge fan. Either place that she ends up, uh, I hope big things for her. 
And I certainly, I've loved Britt Baker. She's done amazing character work since her heel turn. She's been incredible. I've loved the stuff with Jade and now the baddie section that they've got there uh, with Red Velvet and Kiara and the others. Like, uh, that's been fun to watch. And we could potentially have Adam Cole and Britt Baker as the winners of the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament, the, the, the power couple there. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> I Yeah, you just won me ever for that one. Cole and Baker. <laughs> win in the tournament that would be awesome yeah so elsewhere in AEW, we've got the the world title rivalry going on right now we've got cm punk versus hangman adam page coming up hangman is a guy who i think has shown a lot of growth and, and a lot of great character work in AEW. Uh, i've enjoyed his ascent to the world title i do think some of the bookings been a little bit questionable since he won it i think he could have been presented as more of a big deal it kind of thrown him in the middle of shows and he doesn't always get that main event spot very often and he's been a little bit more featured here with cm punk and it's hard for me to see cm punk not leaving with the world title what do you think about that i'm torn with who wins and i have to agree on his tower reign obviously this was the payoff back at full gear where he won the AEW world championship feels like forever ago, but that was the three year payoff where he finally got over the hump. He lost to Jericho in the inaugural title match and finally wins the world title. And not to say his tie reign has been weak because he's beat Brian Danielson and well, he beat Omega for the title. He beat Brian Danielson in classic matches. He beat Adam Cole now he's going up against CM Punk. Those are the three guys we talked about moving the needle for AEW when they signed last year. And if CM Punk loses a match, I could see it being this one. I could see CM Punk legitimately losing to Hangman Page and it'd be okay because CM Punk puts Hangman Page over. But on the other hand, if the Monday headlines read all over Yahoo and all the news outlets that CM Punk is AEW world champion. Do you know how many people are going to tune in to Dynamite the next Wednesday? I feel like if you're thinking from a rating standpoint, it'd have to be CM Punk. If you're thinking of a story standpoint, then you can go with Hangman Page or you could go with Punk. So this might be the first time that Hangman Page has been the underdog since he became champion. And whoever wins, I can almost guarantee MJF is the next guy to take the world title. Yeah, and there's a, there's a kind of a ready-made feud with either guy for MJF. I know back before CM Punk ever made the, the move to AEW, kind of thought it was going to be Hangman beating Omega, thought it was going to be MJF beating Hangman then later. But there is that story with MJF and CM Punk that could still have a little bit more resolution and, and uh, MJF coming after Punk. So both of those are intriguing options. Uh, when we mention MJF, we've got to talk about this Wardlow storyline going off. Wardlow kind of breaking out a la Bautista back in the evolution days. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> what have you thought? <laughs> what have you thought of the uh, MJF Wardlow storyline? So I know you've uh, listened to my podcast. Yes. By knowing. Uh, yeah, I see so many similarities between Wardlow and Batista and Batista breaking away from Evolution, breaking away from Triple H's stronghold. Same thing with Wardlow breaking through MJF and Wardlow putting the ring in the ring and helping CM Punk beat MJF just writes the world title match perfectly if Punk wins. But back to Wardlow, he is going to be a star. 
MJF's already is a star, and it has went perfectly for AEW because they built MJF up to be the star. They put Wardlow with them, hoping they'd have this payoff, and they have. Like This is a long-term story, long-term plan that's worked out for them. So pat yourself on the back, Tony Khan. Awesome job right there. And if you saw Dynamite, Wardlow just take those lashes. I didn't quite understand the following Cody and MJF storyline where Cody took the 10 lashes and they hurt. But then when Wardlow were taking the 10 lashes, he took it like a man until that final low blow. And that was just the extra detail that they had to put in there, which is great storytelling by AEW where it's like, okay, you're not going to get these lashes. I know we'll make any man go down and that's uh, getting kicked in the mommy daddy button. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, they made Warlow look like an absolute beast in that segment and just going to be awesome to watch his rise and, and what, what is in his future. Uh, the other big thing I want to talk about with AEW is the Blackpool Combat Club, uh, which came together. William Regal brought John Moxley and Brian Danielson together. Willer Yuta has since joined. We'll see if some more younger guys uh, join this faction eventually, but they've got a big match coming up, a five-on-five match. Uh, actually, uh, I think it's – yeah, it's, it's Danielson and Moxley are going to be teaming up with Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz against the Jericho Appreciation Society. That's been really fun to watch. Uh, the wrestlers, if you will, against uh, the sports entertainers uh, is kind of what they're going for with this. Uh, what have been your thoughts on, uh, on all those parts? which I know we mentioned earlier in the show about sports entertainers, you're going to get booed every time in AEW building versus pro wrestlers. And I don't know if this was the payoff they had in mind for it, having the pro wrestlers, Moxley and Danielson, love the pro wrestling aspect. And Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz needed two more people, which I don't know where this leaves Will or Yuta. Maybe somebody gets taken out before the pay-per-view so Will or Yuta can insert himself into the match, which I feel like Will or Yuta needs to do something at double or nothing rather than just sit on the sideline. But William Regal coming in and being a mentor on screen to Moxley and Danielson, and it just goes to show how deep the AEW roster is and how overcrowded it's getting because Danielson and Moxley can be in the main event in any promotion, at any time, for a good 30 to 60 minutes, and they've proven that. And now they're in a tag team together. And they only even hold the tag team titles as of right now. That's how deep AEW's roster is right now. And it's incredible to watch. I'm excited to see where the Blackpool Combat Club goes. I don't know how long Kingston stays with Ortiz and Santana. And this will be a good way to see what the Jericho Appreciation Society has in them like what does 2.0 have dane garcia this is going to be his big test uh jake hager still kind of there he's really collecting paycheck right now getting to his bellator stuff on the side and he's there and he'll do really well but this is going to be a interesting match it's not going to be a stadium stampede but i hope we get a blood and guts match as the payoff here soon 
We're going to find out. You mentioned the tag teams that Jurassic Express have had the titles for a while now, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Uh, there are so many tag teams in AEW. Santana and Ortiz are deserving of a, of a nice reign. Uh, I could see FTR getting another reign uh, with those titles. Uh, they've got some other titles right now, and they're in a babyface turn right now. So they're going on. The fans are really going crazy for them, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with them. It'll, uh, I know Jurassic Express currently is kind of going against uh, Team Taz's Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. You've got uh, Swerve and Keith Lee, so it looks like kind of a three-way battle there for the tag team titles. You've got so many others who could uh, enter the fray at some point. Uh, what have you thought of Jurassic Express? Have you seen some growth with the partnership with Christian Cage for them? I have, and I know I referenced earlier in the show, back in 2019, I looked at Jungle Boy and I was like, there ain't no way this guy is writing on his father's name. This Marco stunt kid, you had this dinosaur who could move. And people who aren't familiar with wrestling, I'm not talking about a legitimate dinosaur. Don't trash the pro wrestling industry based on that comment. But I was like, okay, Luchasaurus has something. He has something in him. But these other two, it's like, nah. And Jungle Boy has exceeded my expectations and has just grown and grown and grown. I expect them to retain. I don't see them losing the tiles in a triple threat tag. Never usually happens. But one thing I did want to say about Santana and Ortiz, if I may, I think they may have missed their window, unfortunately. They should have won those titles near the beginning of the promotion. And that tag team division's overcrowded now. We just talked about those three tag teams along with Blackpool Combat Club. And it's so unfortunate that Santana and Ortiz are just victims to bad timing and things out of their control. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely not for lack of uh, talent on their part, because I think they're really great. Well, we've talked a little bit about some of the pros and cons of WWE and AEW today. I want to get into this draft uh, that we talked about doing. Happily ever drafter uh, is what we're going to do now. It's uh, an evolution draft. Uh, we're going to do, uh, obviously, evolution, uh, former professional wrestling faction in WWE, Ric Flair, Triple H, Bautista, and Randy Orton. Of course, Bautista and Orton have both recently past the 20-year anniversary of their WWE debuts. It's interesting how many different guys made their debuts in 2002 <laughs> with WWE. I know you mentioned it a little bit, Brock Lesnar, John Cena. Uh, there's another one I'm trying, it's escaping me right now. Uh, well, Rey Mysterio jumped over in 2002 is what happened. Uh, so, And I think all of those except Brock Lesnar fall on a Monday this year so they can run video packages on Raw's for all four of those guys. But uh, for this draft uh, that we're going to do, like I said, evolution drafts. So those four members I just named, we're going to pick matches that contain at least one member of that evolution faction and uh, just a little hypothetical fantasy draft. And uh, you're going to have the first pick here in a minute uh, as the guest. And then we will go back and forth. I'll have two picks. You'll have two picks until we each have five. We must pick each member of evolution at least once but you cannot pick the same one in back-to-back -back picks. Like, I can pick it if you picked one, but you can't pick them in back-to-back -back picks for you, for instance. Uh, and you can have more than one member. They could have been facing each other. They could have been teaming together, uh, whatever you see fit, just picking matches. Uh, and uh, in the end, I'll be putting these lists on social media. People will say, you know, wh which list of matches they like best. and we'll just Which will be an obvious choice. <laughs> yeah, me. Uh, so, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So anyway, Michael, you will have the first pick in the Evolution Happily Ever Drafter. All right, let me see if I can do this. Do, 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 do. With the first pick in the Happily Ever Drafter draft, Michael Davis will select Triple H versus the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, the unsanctioned match in SummerSlam 2002. If you remember, this was Shawn Michaels' return after four years away from the ring. And after a very short DX reunion, Triple H turned on Shawn Michaels and they beat the blood out of each other. Buckets and buckets and buckets, which is why I really love the Ruthless Aggression era. And Triple H and Shawn Michaels just tore the house down and stole the show. And it's going to be regarded as one of the best matches they've ever had together and then both in their individual careers. Yeah. So last night when I was uh, sitting down to write down a list of potential matches, that was one of the ones on my list for sure. Certainly one of Triple H's most memorable matches and uh, Shawn Michaels returning and proving that he still got it after he's come back. And of course, Triple H had come back earlier in the year from his quad tear for that as well. So just a great match, very physical. And uh, those guys were magic, whether they were together or feuding with one another. The next two picks I'll have before we return to you with my first pick, I am going to go uh, with the nature boy, (laughs) Ric Flair. And now didn't see this match live because I was not born yet, but Oh no! On May seventh, nineteen eighty nine, War eighty nine. Oh no! <laughs> the Music City Showdown. <laughs> Ric Flair pinned Ricky Steamboat. Uh, this took place in Nashville, Tennessee. He won the NWA Championship back from Steamboat. It was the finale of a trilogy between those two greats, two of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. And uh, Steamboat had won the first two. Flair got his title back. The match was over a half hour long. Flair actually won it with an inside cradle. Uh, These guys just put on a masterpiece. uh, And that was his sixth NWA world title win. So that's my first pick, Flair versus Steamboat from that trilogy in 1989. I'm going with their final match in that trilogy uh, for my pick. And then next, I am going to go, let's see here. First off, that was that was a really great pick. That was that was that was number two on my list right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I knew I should. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's tough. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go with Triple H now with with my next pick. And uh, yeah, I'll go ahead. And, I'll go ahead and take Triple H, and he defeated Cactus Jack at Royal Rumble 2000. This was a street fight. Retained the then WWF Championship in that match. This was another brutal match. Uh, went on for almost a half hour. He pedigreed Cactus Jack into a pile of thumbtacks to finally put him down. And uh, this was kind of almost a case of, of Mick Foley making a superstar and, and kind of making this was really kind of began Triple H's ascent to where he would go as a legend. So uh, I've got Triple H defeating Cactus Jack at Royal Rumble 2000 in that street fight. That's a solid pick. Wow. So you've got two picks back-to-back now uh, for yourself. This definitely has shaken up my draft board. I have to ponder what I am going to do. This one's tough. So I'm going to have to go ahead and get my Randy Orton match. And I mentioned this was my favorite Randy Orton match, if you can recall, from Backlash 2004 versus Mick Foley. And this was an early one in Orton's career, but this made 
Randy Orton into a star. This is one of the most memorable backlash moments, matches of all time. And we don't get the next 20 years of Orton without this match. I was considering taking that just so you couldn't get it, but I went with Triple H, Cactus Jack. That was a case, like you said, of of Mick Foley. You know, he helped make a couple members of Evolution there almost in, in very brutal matches. So that's a great pick for you. Uh, you got another one here coming up as well. So I'm going to be a little biased with this one, and I'm going to take Triple H in another match against Batista. I'm double dipping with the Evolution guys. And I'm going to do their WrestleMania 21 match. That was a monumental moment in the history and really one of the defining moments of evolution. So I think there's bonus points with that. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, definitely takes you back to the first WrestleMania you watched live there, uh, as you mentioned earlier. So it's got to have some sentimental value for you. Okay, with my next pick, Let's go ahead and grab a singles match from SummerSlam 2011. No holds barred for the World Heavyweight Championship. Randy Orton and Christian put on a – they had a great feud with one another, and that's their uh, that's their uh, no holds barred match with one another. That uh, was after Christian it began as a face-versus-face feud, ended with uh, Christian turning heel, becoming a whiny heel who wanted one more match <laughs> with Orton. And uh, this was a, uh, a great match. These guys had great chemistry together in the ring. And so I'll take Orton versus Christian from SummerSlam 2011. And then uh, with my next pick, let's see. I've got Orton. I've got Triple H. I've got Ric Flair. So that means I need the animal Batista somewhere. I'm going to go with Batista versus Undertaker. Last man standing, Backlash 2007. Uh, Taker retained the World Heavyweight Championship in this match, but it was actually a match that ended in a draw. Neither man could uh, answer the 10 count. This was during a great series of matches they had back in 07. I'm going to go with uh, Bautista and Undertaker again. These guys had great chemistry in the ring. Interesting you didn't go with WrestleMania 23. Yeah, that was a definite option as well. All their matches were great together. I just uh, decided to go with that last man standing there. So my last pick was Triple H Batista, so I can't use either of those two. So I'm going to take, finally, the Nature Boy Ric Flair. And while you took my Steamboat match, I have one of the most iconic pictures in professional wrestling history of Ric Flair, bloody, blonde hair, raising up the world's championship inside a steel cage after beating Harley Race at Starcade 1983. That was a classic. I got to rewatch that this afternoon, right before we went on show. And yeah, Flair versus Harley Race. How can you beat that? Yeah, can't go wrong with two legends there. All right. Who you got for your last pick? I'm going to toss up between two of these. And what I'm going to do is, instead of one match, I'm going to go with a match that involves three members of Evolution. We have Triple H, Randy Orton, and Batista versus The Shield at Extreme Rules 2014. And Evolution's role back then was to put The Shield over as the next big faction, in which they did, and brought us one of the most exciting matches of all time, right before Seth Rollins would turn his back on his brothers. Very interesting. Nice pick there to get three members in one for you. 
that brings me to the last pick of the draft. I'm debating which way I want to go because I could go any numbers of ways. I just can't pick Bautista because I had him with the last pick. I, I'm trying to decide between two matches here. I've got a couple of Ric Flair matches I had in mind. And uh, first of all, I love Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels from WrestleMania 24. It's great. But I'm going to go back to uh, 1992. Ric Flair wins the 1992 Royal Rumble in Albany, New York. And uh, he lasted a then record 59 minutes, 27 seconds to win that match. And uh, that's after the match, he, he gave one of his most famous promos where he said, I'm going to tell you all with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment of my life. So I'm going to go Ric Flair outlasting 29 other men. And he entered that Royal Rumble third. And that Royal Rumble was for the World Heavyweight Championship of WWF at the time. So uh, it was vacant at the time. And Ric Flair outlasted 29 men to win it. So I'm going to go with that match, uh, Royal Rumble uh, 92. It's a solid one. So that brings us to the end of our draft. Like I said, I will put these on social media and see what people think. Uh, before we go, uh, Michael, I just want you to let people know your social medias and where they can find your podcast. Yeah, so my podcast is on Spotify. It's called Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast. We release a new episode every Friday on Instagram at Drop the Mic Wrestling. We have a Facebook page, Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast. Feel free, like, follow, share, everything. It's a great podcast. I think so, at least. Josh Josh could probably vouch for that. And Josh, thank you so much for letting me be on. Anytime I can talk wrestling, it's, it's, it's a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, staying patient with me through the technical problems I've had. Those are not uh, things that happen all the time, but just uh, so happen that's technology, I guess, for you. But yes, I, I've enjoyed the episodes of your show I've listened to. I'll be putting those uh, links in the description for my episode when it comes out. And, uh, man, it's been nice to talk to you. We'd love to have you on again sometime. Uh, enjoyed our draft and enjoyed talking some uh, pro wrestling with you, man. And good luck with your show as well. I hope you see some great growth uh, in the future. Yeah, I'd love to get you on here soon. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that for sure, man. Thanks. No problem. And that's going to do it for this episode of Four Cores with Josh McKinney. Many thanks once again to my guest for the day, Michael Davis, the host of the Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast. Go check out his stuff as well if you are a pro wrestling fan like we are. And remember, once again, you can follow me on Twitter at SuperJMac32. That's the numbers 3-2 at the end. You can like Four Chords with Josh McKinney on Facebook. As I said on the last episode, getting ready for a little family vacation. So going to be gone for the upcoming week, but we're going to be back with you in June for episode 57 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Until then, this has been episode 56, folks. Summer is just around the corner. Hope you enjoy yours. I plan on trying to enjoy mine. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to episode 56 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney.